Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, a Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Katie Balls. I'm joined once again by Isabel Hardman. This time you've managed to move away from the riverside and into a hotel room. Yep, quite a location. No men throwing glitter. So it's all going well. And we've just had Keir Starmer's leader speech at Labour Conference. And here's what he had to say. People are looking at us because they want our wounds to heal. And we are the healers. People are looking to us because these challenges require a modern state. And we are the modernizers. People are looking to us because they want to build a new Britain. And we are the builders. But they also look out at the chaos in the world and in Westminster. And they want to know, can we find that elusive path to an economy that serves their community? Can we deliver the rock of stability they need to move forward with their lives? Shelter from the storm and a passage to calmer waters. So, Isabel, I think when it comes to this conference, as we've said many times, um, what even Keir Starmer's own team builder as is, you know, he's going to set up why it's not just not about voting Tory, it's about wanting to vote for Labour. Did he manage to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he, he, he obviously he framed that himself, didn't he, in the sort of first few minutes uh, where he said, you know, people want to know why Labour. Um, and he then said, uh, we, we have a plan to, to build Britain. And I think he probably did answer that. And I was quite surprised, I have to say, by how big the promises he was making were. So bulldozing through the planning system, and he, he used the word bulldoze, is a really difficult thing to do, whatever government you are, even if you're not the Conservatives with extremely paranoid Shire voters, it's a very difficult thing to do. And it's much easier to make it more complex. Building more homes, building a whole generation of new towns. Great. Obviously, you know, more housing is absolutely what this country needs. It's going to be really hard work. And it's not something you you tend to do if you're a cautious figure. I thought, what he had to say on the NHS was fascinating and not just because I find everything about the NHS fascinating, but it was genuinely really interesting that he said, our job is not just to manage the shop. We need to be the party that finally transforms the NHS and that it can't go on as it is at the moment. That is a big thing for a Labour conference to hear. It's a big thing for any leader to say. And he was pledging to make preventive medicine the sort of priority within healthcare, which is something that has been said about the NHS since its inception, but has never been realised. So he's definitely not under-promising and over-delivering here. These are really big things that are going to be difficult to deliver. They show that he's much more confident in himself. He's much more confident about winning. He's talking about you know a decade of renewal. And he clearly thinks that his party's largely psychologically in the place for that as well, because he talked about how he, he said, we've dragged this party back. And one of the eye-catching bits of the speech uh, was not what Starmer was saying, but what 
happened at the start, which was a stage invasion from a protester who we now think is from Extinction Rebellion, but could actually have been protesting anything because, you know, as far as sort of attention grabbing stunts went, I mean, he got our attention, but we have no idea what he was asking for. He was just shouting and throwing glitter all over the Labour leader. And uh, Starmer used that to make a point and say, you know, we're a party of power, not a party of protest. Um, A woman appeared on stage and said, we're taking the jacket off. And he dutifully did. And he He needed advice on that one. Yeah, he rolled. I like just that we're taking the jacket off. Okay, rolls up his sleeves, which is a great look for someone who's talking about building Black Britain and something that David Cameron did a lot when he was campaigning uh, in 2010 and afterwards. So that worked really well for him. And, uh, you know, he, he clearly thought the party was was there for that but he did still say to them we need to be disciplined you know this job is going to be really hard because it would be very easy for the Labour Party at this stage to think this is going to be really easy from now on. Yeah I mean I suppose the downside of the protester well as for you I mean first off quite shocking in terms of security that you could have someone get on the stage and also be on it for such a long time. And grab Starmer physically as well. And I think you know that is not a Kirstama problem, but yeah. it does raise some questions about the organisation of the event. And then I think also, as you say, he made it into that point about party and protest, which is a line that he delivered later in his speech. But you do get a sense, you know, the first headlines were, you know, Keir Starmer's conference speech has crashed. You can imagine the picture on the front page as being the protest. And, you know, you don't get the quip then. So, I mean, I don't think it's... So it's one of those things where I think he, he didn't let it throw him off. No. But clearly, you know, it's it's not an ideal one. I mean, no. it wasn't as painful as when Theresa May had no. protested. But that was the P45. So, yeah. again, that was much more... And I think, again, it's that thing where because the polls are where there are and there's this good energy, it meant, you know, it's like, oh, well, he looks strong because he's made a joke and he's just kept going. Yeah. Whereas you can totally imagine a different scenario where that happened and be like, oh, he this can't sums get up any his leadership. It yeah. always rains. If it happened on Rishi Sunak, I think we'd probably be saying, um, not that I'm predicting, I would say something which God is can't catch a break. But, you know, it would be that type of thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, his moment. But it just to show you, I think that, you know, this was good. Keir Starmer was going to have a good speech, really, in terms of the setup yeah. and the build-up. Yeah. I thought it was interesting when it came to the speech, as you say, radical in terms of planning reform. Mm. I've just been doing Politics Live, and Angela Rayner came on and gave an interview after. She's really pressed on, OK, these new towns, where are they going to go? Quite. <laughs> and there's a lot of, well, there's Grey Belt and there's Green Belt. And then she suggested they wouldn't be in the Lake District. Now, Kirsten was saying how much he loved the Lake District in that speech. So perhaps that's the one area she knows that she's not allowed to build a new town in. But it, it does seem to lend to the point that there's clearly, you know, I think there's been more, as tends to happen with the Labour Party and just generally, the more they set out a policy and the more the details they give, the more actually there is to just query attack. Mm-hmm. And I think, and I think mm-hmm. actually establishing where they think they can build these new towns and how they're going to do it will, will be interesting and whether the Tories can weaponise it. But one other dividing line, it seemed to be on net zero, where mm. you've had a party which at times has seemed a bit worried about how to sign a key thing about the green borrowing plan that they had to, uh, that they've delayed in terms of like how quickly they would, they'd borrow the 28 billion. But in that speech, Keir Starmer was really trying to say, you know, we are pro net zero, unlike the Tories. And he was linking it to the economy, but yeah. it did feel more enthusiastic, I think, and confident than some of the previous positioning. Totally. 
Uh, he was really keen to show he wasn't ambivalent, wasn't he? And it went very well in the hall, but the mm. hall was never really the problem when it comes to that policy. Exactly. And I do wonder whether it's one of those ones where actually it is easy for the Conservatives to say he will say and do whatever he thinks will get him his way, get him into power, because it does tend to be the case that things get muddied when it's advantageous to the leader's office, for instance, after the um, Uxbridge by-election where everyone was having a good old grump about Sadiq Khan. I think there will be a, um, you know, there will be a point where something else happens that Starmer will be really under the pressure of, you know, a conference hall where you've got activists who are generally very much of the sort of Ed Miliband persuasion on this is, is quite an easy place to say that. On a specific policy area, on a specific decision, it's it's much harder. And they have... You know, I think they've really, as a party, relied on the Tories to do some of the things that they know their voters need, like the um, uh, the decision to go ahead with the Rosebank oil field, for instance. If you talk to anyone in Scottish Labour, they were so relieved that that happened and that that wasn't a decision their party had to take. And we did learn some new things about Keir Starmer. We talked about his love for the Lake District. At the time he sent his mother, we learned that he likes to eat fish and chips sometimes. Um, <laughs> Yes! <laughs> and I think that that was really what, what they were trying to get to. Um, I certainly feel like I'm more common with Keir Starmer after that disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to, I suppose, the main part of the speech, because it was supposed to be, you know, if not them, why us? For that framing, he did spend a lot of time saying not them. Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of Tory attack yeah. when it came to Rishi Sunak, Liz Ross Partygate. Yeah. Very personal about Rishi Sunak, about him, you know, looking at the country and the cost of living crisis from the vantage point of his helicopter, for instance. As you observed with Rachel Reeves' speech yesterday, um, given the, the short amount of time Liz Truss spent in government, disproportionate amount of speech time dedicated to her. And, you know, on one level, that's that's justified in and of itself because of the impact that Truss had in that short tenure, but also from a political point of view, it's also the thing they want to keep fresh in voters' minds, that this is the same party. You know, it's a different leader, but it's the same party that blew up the economy, in their words. So, yeah, and again, stretching back to um, to Partygate and reminding the hall about, not just about, you know, setting the rules, then breaking them, but also the, the way in which cleaners were, were treated really badly in Downing Street when they were cleaning the sick off, off, the, off the rooms and, and so on. It's interesting because... We had been told before conference there was going to be a big push on standards and that Starmer was going to make this one of his big things. And the reason that hasn't happened is that they haven't been able to get through all of their complaints yet. So they can't say, we're going to have this big standards push. Oh, but we've got loads of big complaints about very, very serious allegations that we still haven't uh, closed up. So I suspect that bit of the speech was actually going to be longer, but uh, reality intervened. Now, we still have another day of the party conference. Um of course, I think some will leave after, now that leader speech has happened. Some will stay for the mirror party. Some will stay for Jonathan Ashworth's speech tomorrow. You know, pick your poison. Um, but when we're, I suppose when we're assessing how it's gone so far, it feels as though it's very controlled, as we said. It feels as though Keir Starmer's team are very happy with how it's gone. But do you think the shadow cabinet are all you know, feeling happy? It feels that like everyone is scared of saying the wrong thing almost because totally. it's just trying to, you know, keep the momentum and keep the route. They've gone into loyalty mode and... It's a really fun mode for journalists. It's really fun. <laughs> and we've forgotten 
what Labour in loyalty mode is like, because the, the Tories are never really in loyalty mode. I mean, they go into ruthless mode around an election, but they're still perfectly happy to sound off. Whereas Labour in loyalty mode, even people who you've, you know, you've worked with as a contact for years and years and years and you know really, really well. And one of them explained this to me recently. They said that this was because they've, well, they don't do this anymore, but because they've stood on picket lines together and they know what solidarity means. Not allowed on picket lines, but still not allowed to be ill-disciplined. Um, and he did mention that in his speech. And, you know, the speeches in the hall have been good, but not not revelatory in policy terms. But also, what a contrast to last week where... I mean, obviously, the hall was like where you went for a nap, but also... The, the Chancellor had a fairly full hall, The Chancellor he? did. Suella did. Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, did. Kemi Badenoch did. And a lot of the speeches were being read as attempts to undermine Sunak, set out a stall for now, for the future, for, you know, some kind of policy pitch. And the whole narrative of Tory conference was about who was in control of the narrative, whether it was Rishi Sunak, whether it was Liz Truss, whether it was his cabinet... That is very much not the narrative of this conference because when Labour people decide they want something, they do really clam up and they are being really disciplined and united at the moment. But there's always the danger, you know, of ending up in a place like Neil Kinnock in Sheffield in 1992 where they think they're all right and they realise they're not too late. Thank you, Isabel, and thank you for listening.